Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. The Federal Reserve preparing to raise interest rates again. Analysts expect it'll be the same as last time, which was the biggest rate hike in nearly 30 years. More Americans are turning to food banks to survive rising costs, but food bank donations are plummeting. Find out how Americans are affected. Allegations of inhumane living conditions in some federal prisons. The federal prisons director tells senators what he's planning to do about the alleged rape, malnutrition, and more. Families of veterans killed in the Korean War view a new Washington, D.C. memorial. It contains the names of tens of thousands who died in what is often called the Forgotten War. In its fight against inflation, the Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates again today by three-quarters of a percentage point. This as fears of a recession loom over the country. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports. The Fed's preparing for another mega rate hike Wednesday afternoon to try to tame inflation, which is at a 40-year high. But worries are it could trigger a recession. Last month, Fed Chair Jerome Powell told reporters that letting prices get out of control would be a bigger mistake than crushing growth and causing a downturn. Although prices at the pump are falling some in the U.S., costs for many other everyday items are still climbing. Americans are growing more pessimistic about the U.S. economy, according to the conference board's latest survey. Its consumer confidence index fell for the third month in a row in July, Consumers were less optimistic about current business conditions and the labor market. However, the Biden administration doesn't see the glass as half empty, citing strong numbers in jobs and manufacturing. We're seeing industrial output uh, sustain uh, and and in positive territory five of the last six months. And so the totality of the economic data is consistent with that uh, type of uh, transition uh, and is not consistent with, uh, with, uh, with a recession. But the International Monetary Fund has lowered its global economic forecasts through 2023, in part because of predicted slowdowns in the U.S. We see the path as narrowing, not necessarily one where a recession becomes part of the baseline, but the realization of risks will, could certainly take us there. There are signs the economy is starting to slow down, the housing market is softening, companies are announcing layoffs, and gross domestic products shrank in the first quarter, and it's expected to shrink again in the second quarter. A recession is commonly defined as having two back-to-back negative quarters of GDP. But there's no ironclad definition in the U.S. The National Bureau of Economic Research says a recession, quote, involves a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and lasts more than a few months. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. As prices for essentials like groceries, rent, and medication skyrocket, millions of Americans have turned to food banks for relief. But now, those life-saving resources are facing critical shortages. Here's more. Thank you so much. Jean Vaccarino has turned to food banks after months of choosing between groceries and her heart medicine. I will probably be homeless by next year because of the rent has tripled. She says she's been living on disability for the past few years, making it harder to make ends meet. You can't buy anything. You know, it's 
it's day to day, and you just hope and pray for the best. With rising inflation, the average American is spending nearly $500 more per month, including 78 more on food, toughest for those living paycheck to paycheck. In a June poll, 60% of lower income households said grocery prices were a major problem. So millions are turning to food banks for help. Some pantries say they're serving 50% more people than a year ago. Long lines in Phoenix mirror the worst days of the pandemic. In San Antonio, one third of these people are here for the first time. These are families that are working, but they are just not making enough to put food on the table at the end of the day. Sometimes it's uh, stressful and a struggle. Jessica Yingling works at a nursing home, but she and her son still need this Maryland pantry. Everything's more expensive and you're making the same amount that you're making before. Bill Murphy is picking up meals for veterans. Demand is skyrocketing as the government scales back COVID assistance programs and donations from the USDA and grocery stores plummet, stretching food banks to the brink. They don't have surplus, well then it cuts our supply. In Ohio, warehouses are drained. They say it's the worst shortage in years and pantries are rationing food to stay afloat. Few banks can afford to buy supply to fill the gap and even that is getting far pricier. America is transitioning from a pandemic crisis to a hunger crisis. The worst case scenario is that food banks will have to continue to wind down and even shut down food distributions that are vital lifelines for communities across this country. And if sky high inflation lingers, more families will need help. Now you just get the point where you just gonna have to go get it. Janet Murray is raising her grandson. And for the first time, this free food is critical. I guess more of us are gonna be coming to the food banks. It's sad, it really is, but what are you gonna do? Feeding America is asking Congress to increase funding to the Emergency Food Assistance Program and for the USDA to send more supply to food banks. They call this a dangerous and unsustainable trajectory. Food banks in some places are on the brink of shutting down. Horrible living conditions, including rape, no clean drinking water, drugs, and more. That's what inmates in some federal prisons are living through, according to a report. The federal prisons director had to testify about the allegations. The director of the federal prison system, Michael Carvajal, was grilled Tuesday by a Georgia senator. There got to be change at the Bureau of Prisons, and it has to happen right now. Carvajal had to testify about allegations based on reports from the Associated Press. He previously declined to testify, but was later forced to after he was subpoenaed. The reports allege dire scenes in some federal prisons. We're talking about pre-trial, presumptively innocent detainees being held 23 hours a day, confined in crowded and vermin-infested cells, wearing paper clothing with paper blankets, without access reliably to safe, clean drinking water, wasting away from malnutrition. A federal women's prison in California is known to staff and inmates as the Rape Club. The prison's former warden is among a number of employees that have been charged. Inmates say they have been subjected to rampant sexual abuse by correctional officers and even the warden and were often threatened or punished when they tried to speak up. Do you know if that's true? Is that true? It is, un it is being investigated and if anything I understand my true, question we is are if going it's to true. hold people accountable. Is it true? I do not know if it's true. You don't know if it's true, it have you? It is being investigated. There is you? a process, Senator, that we respect and it's going through. 
The senator said that in 2021, the U.S. settled a lawsuit brought by 15 female inmates at a facility in Florida who were raped by male officers. In one particularly harrowing account, an inmate said she was raped every Wednesday for six months at a warehouse where she'd been assigned to work. Is the Bureau of Prisons able to keep female detainees safe from sexual abuse by assault? Your testimony remains yes? Yes. Carvajal announced his resignation back in January. He's set to be replaced by Oregon State Prison Director next week. NTD reached out to the Federal Bureau of Prisons but didn't hear back before broadcast. House Democrats introduced a bill to place term limits on U.S. Supreme Court justices. They say it's a bid to restore balance to the majority conservative bench. The bill's sponsor claims the nation's higher court faces a legitimacy crisis. Congressman Jerry Nadler says he wanted term limits to shift the balance of power away from the conservative majority. Under the bill, a new justice would take the bench every two years and allow each president two appointees per term. Each justice would serve 18 years. A Harvard Law School professor who was part of President Biden's presidential commission on the Supreme Court previously said that substantial reforms could be disastrous. Former President Trump is accused of never ordering the deployment of the National Guard on January 6th. Now an insider says Trump authorized the National Guard, but the offer was turned down. Here's more. He is purposely Representative Liz Cheney, vice chair of the January 6th committee, had this to say when she spoke with Fox News about former President Trump and the National Guard on January 6th. Donald Trump never issued any order to deploy the Guard to protect the Capitol. That's true, but a former Trump official says that's not the whole story. At the time of the January 6th Capitol breach, Kash Patel was chief of staff for the acting Department of Defense Secretary. He told Epoch Times that under the law, a president can't actually order the deployment of the military for use inside the United States. The Supreme Court said two things must happen. One, the president of the United States has to authorize, not order, authorize the use of the National Guard. Once that happens, step two has to happen as well before they can be deployed. And that is a request from the head of the state, the governor, or in this case, Mayor Bowser, because it's Washington, D.C., or federal law enforcement needs to request the National Guard to be deployed. If those two things don't happen, then any issuance of the National Guard would be literally unconstitutional. Patel says that Trump authorized the use of 20,000 National Guards, but then it was up to D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser or the Capitol Police to request them. Mayor Bowser, in writing, pursuant to her own letter that we released from her, sent to the Department of Defense, declined to issue any more National Guards men and women. He added that the Capitol Police also declined the deployment of the guards. NTD reached out to Mayor Bowser's office and the Capitol Police to ask why they didn't want to have the guards deployed. We didn't hear back before broadcast. You can hear more of what Cash Patel has to say by watching The Real Story on January 6th. Documentary on EpochTV.com. Reporting by Adrian Pazar. NTD News. House lawmakers will be offered up to $10,000 to strengthen their home security. That's amid increasing threats of violence against lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. The money would cover expenses for upgrading home security systems, including cameras and video recorders, locks and motion sensors. The program would also furnish up to $150 per month. This will help lawmakers pay fees and maintain new security equipment. In recent months, members of the January 6th committee have been increasingly targeted, leading many to strengthen security with their own funds. But lawmakers who do not plan to seek re-election or who do not win their congressional race in November will not be eligible for the program. 
Former President Donald Trump spoke in D.C. on Tuesday for the first time since leaving office. Giving us more on what he said, here's NTD's Iris Tao. Taking the stage to a standing ovation at the America First Agenda Summit, former President Donald Trump is back here in Washington, D.C. And Trump's visit here marks his first time back in the city since leaving office 18 months ago. Trump begins by reflecting on the current state of the country. But now our country has been brought to its knees. And pivoting to the November elections. This November, the people are going to vote to stop the destruction of our country. And they're going to vote to rescue America's future. And that's before he spends one-third of his 90-minute speech on rising crime. Our country is now a cesspool of crime. We have blood, death, and suffering on a scale once unthinkable. He also cites a plan to restore public safety if Republicans win back the majority this fall, adding that he's confident that it'll continue under the next Republican president. And when a Republican president takes back the White House in 2024, which I strongly believe will happen. It also comes just hours after his former running mate and his potential 2024 rival, Mike Pence, also spoke in D.C. on the same day. I truly do believe that elections are about the future. And that it's absolutely essential at a time when so many Americans are hurting, so many families are struggling, that we don't give way to the temptation to look back. Neither Trump nor Pence has publicly confirmed of his running for president in 2024. But Trump says he looks forward to laying out more details in the weeks and months to come on what he calls an America First agenda. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Retired General Keith Kellogg was former Vice President Mike Pence's national security advisor. He told the Washington Examiner that he would endorse former President Donald Trump if there were a Trump-Pence matchup in 2024. Kellogg said some of Pence's advisors have left the Trump team, but he's always been a Trump guy. As Pence continues to give speeches, speculation is growing that he will enter the presidential race. Kellogg said he believes Trump will run after meeting with the former president a few weeks ago. Family members of Korean War veterans were in Washington, D.C. Tuesday. They came to see the names of relatives etched on the newly constructed Wall of Remembrance. They always called the Korean War the Forgotten War, and I think this helps to dispel some of that. And now with the names here, people can come and, and visit and see their loved ones, or even if they weren't family members, but people that they knew. I think he believed after high school that he would serve his nation, and uh, he, uh, he was killed in action, and it was devastating to the family. I can see him in my head the day he left. Um, me being on the front porch, oh, crying. <laughs> me being on the front porch when he left and he told me he would be back and he never came back. The circular wall surrounds the Pool of Remembrance. It holds the names of over 36,000 Americans and more than 7,000 Koreans who died serving under U.S. command during the war. The Korean War began in June 1950. It was between the Soviet-backed Communist forces of North Korea and the Republic of Korea to the south. In July, U.S. forces joined the war on behalf of South Korea. The fighting stopped in July 1953. The names of the soldiers are arranged alphabetically and according to their rank and respective branch of service. The construction of the wall costs $22 million. It was funded by donations from American and Korean organizations and also by private donors. 
The wall officially opens with a dedication ceremony today. And coming up, firefighters work to contain the Oak Fire in Mariposa County, California. The blaze has already burned through an area half the size of San Francisco. Stay tuned for more right after this short break. With California's wildfire season getting longer and more severe each year, the state's firefighters face a tough uphill battle. The Oak Fire is this year's largest and has already burned through an area half the size of San Francisco. Entity's Andrew Thomas reports. Mariposa County, California. Firefighters are taking on 24-hour shifts as they try to contain the blaze of the Oak Fire. Fire Captain Jared Abbott has been fighting fires for 10 years. He leads a team of three firefighters. Definitely satisfying knowing you're helping people, um, the greater good. That's what we're here for. That's why we all do the job. But, um, you know, some days are harder than others. Some days you're exhausted, um, especially days where you're working throughout the night on that 24-hour shift and you have no sleep. The 24-hour shifts seem to be putting a dent in the fire. According to the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, the Oak Fire was 26% contained and had destroyed 25 homes by Tuesday morning. With a decade on the job, Abbott said every year California's fire season seems to get worse and worse. The next season it's worse than the one before it. Um, so it's, 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 been, it's been busy. You know, I'm usually out three 14-day assignments a year, um, and they're long summers, you know. The work is challenging and can be dangerous. But Abbott says the hardest part is leaving his young family at home for long periods while he fights fires. You know, they're the real heroes back home. Um, I have a wife and two kids, and um, it's a lot, it's just as much, um, it's just as hard on them as it is on us out here. Um, I have two young kids. I have a five-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter, and um, they're so young, they don't, you know, understand why I'm gone. According to Cal Fire, 15 of the 20 most destructive fires in California history have struck since 2015, when measured by deaths and structures burned. As of Tuesday, the Oak Fire was moving northward into the Sierra National Forest, no longer in the direction of Yosemite, some 10 miles to the east, according to Cal Fire. A grove of Yosemite's giant ancient sequoia trees appeared safe, but it had been threatened by a wildfire weeks ago. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Record rainfall caused flash floods in St. Louis, Missouri on Tuesday. One person reportedly died. Footage shows cars stopped, unable to cross a flooded road. One person was found dead in a car, which was submerged in over eight feet of water. A runway at the Lambert International Airport was also flooded, with some flights delayed. According to St. Louis National Weather Service, the city recorded eight inches of rain, surpassing an August 1915 daily record of 6.85 inches. Local media reported that major roads in the St. Louis area were affected by the floods, including at least four state highways. There is a possibility of more rain today and tomorrow. Police released video Tuesday of a woman accused of firing several gunshots inside a Dallas airport. Odufuwa, who had no luggage, entered the ticketing area, then went into a restroom. She emerged with her hands in the pockets of a hooded sweatshirt, then she went toward a ticket counter. Witnesses report hearing a disturbance before she shouted that she would blow the place up and pulled a handgun. She fired two rounds in the ceiling, then, as she was confronted by a police officer, she fired in his direction. The officer was not struck. Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia has said Odufua was shot in her lower extremities. He said no one else was injured. 
The woman faces a charge of aggravated assault of a public servant. And in Nevada, a homeowner narrowly escaped being shot when a robbery suspect's gun jammed. It was all caught on surveillance video. Police in Las Vegas say the incident happened Sunday. Investigators say the victim parked his car in his garage when a man tried to rob him. The suspect chased him and tried to shoot, but the gun failed to fire. Next, they got into a sedan and left the scene. Police are asking for the public's help in finding the suspect. The trial is underway of a truck driver charged in the deaths of seven members of a marine motorcycle club. A prosecutor says the driver told police he caused the crash, while the trucker's lawyer blames the lead biker. The prosecution said Tuesday that the trucker, 26-year-old Vladimir Chukovsky, had taken heroin, fentanyl, and cocaine on June 21, 2019. That's before the head-on crash along U.S. Route 2 in Randolph, New Hampshire. The trucker's lawyer said the lead biker was drunk and came into contact with the truck first. Jurors visited the crash scene Monday. They traced the truck driver's route from an auto dealership to the crash site 10 miles away. The motorcyclists were part of a larger group that had just left a motel. They were headed to an American Legion post to set up for an annual meeting. They were traveling east when they collided with the westbound truck. Tchaikovsky has pleaded not guilty to multiple charges, including negligent homicide and manslaughter. He's been in jail since the crash. Pharmaceutical company Teva reached a nationwide settlement with multiple states and local governments. That's over its alleged role in the U.S. opioid crisis. The company agreed to pay over $4 billion. The agreement is set to end thousands of lawsuits filed against the Israel-based pharmaceutical giant. Teva makes painkillers that contain fentanyl and was one of the biggest producers of opioid painkillers during the height of the opioid epidemic. The settlement is part of an ongoing effort by states to hold opioid manufacturers accountable for their alleged role in the opioid crisis. Overdose deaths reportedly cost the U.S. at least $1 trillion a year, according to a congressional report. Police seized over one and a half tons of cocaine hidden in two tractor trailers in Mexico City on Tuesday. Local authorities say it's the largest seizure of cocaine ever in the city. The cocaine shipment left Colombia by sea and arrived in the Mexican capital after being delivered to the shores of Puerto Escondido, a busy beach destination in the south of the country. Some of the drugs were to be distributed in Tepito, one of the capital's most notorious neighborhoods, although most were to be delivered to the east coast of the United States. Mexico City police said the market value of the drug haul is estimated to be $20 million. Four suspects were taken into custody. They face charges linked to drug smuggling. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, the Chinese Communist Party is buying up farmland in North Dakota, and the land is near a military base. U.S. lawmakers are voicing concerns. A bill is brewing in the Senate to stop big tech companies from favoring their own brands over those of their competitors. We hear from an expert on whether this is what Congress should be focusing on right now and the implications the bill would have on national security. Find out more after the break. Welcome back. 
Activists against big tech staged a demonstration last night at one of Senator Chuck Schumer's fundraisers. They are demanding he call a vote on an antitrust bill. The bill would, in part, ban companies like Amazon from promoting their own brands on their platform ahead of their competitors' brands. We hear more on this from a director at the Center for Technology and Innovation at a libertarian think tank. Please welcome Jessica Malugin, who is a tech policy expert at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Thanks for coming on the show, Jessica. Thanks. Thank you for having me. In campaigning for her bill, Senator Klobuchar says big tech uses its dominance to unfairly disadvantage their rivals, which comes at the expense of consumers. What's your reaction to this? Well, I guess that the best way to counter that is to figure out what consumers think about that charge. And all the polling shows us that this is not anywhere near the top of the list of consumers' concerns about what Senate and Congress members should be spending their time on these days. Um, Inflation, gas prices, a land war in Europe, these are all things that rank higher than uh, beating up on big tech. Consumers seem to be very happy with these big platforms. They use them frequently. They rate them highly in terms of trust. And this seems to be sort of a non-problem outside of the political advantages in Washington, D.C. So, Jessica, break this down for us. How does this compare to brick-and-mortar stores like Target and Costco selling their home brands versus Amazon doing it online? Yeah, so one part of her bill uh, bans so-called self-preferencing. So what that means in theory is that when you go on to Amazon, Amazon is no longer able to show you in your search results their generic batteries, if that's what you're searching for, ahead of name brand Energizer or Duracell. Um, that's especially silly, not only because people really value one more choice of those generics, um, making them easy to find online, often at a lower price point, which there couldn't be a better time for a lot of Americans for that, but also because we've seen this generic branding in brick and mortar stores for decades, right? Kohl's, uh, Costco, Target, your grocery store all have their own in-house brands, and they do the sort of a similar thing in terms of how Amazon puts them high up in the search results, where if you walked into a store, they'd have a prominent place on the shelves at eye level or, um, you know, at the end of the aisle featured. It's the same marketing and no one has a problem with it in real life and no one should have a problem with it online. Well, in the era of e-commerce, we have to address these things. Now, does this bill have any implications for U.S. national security? Well, I think that anytime you're putting a whole tech sector at a disadvantage globally, that has ramifications beyond just the economics of it for consumers. Those are problems. But also, you know, if you put all these restrictions on what these companies can't do and have to do, well, their competitors around the globe won't be hamstrung by those. Uh, and, And that's not really helping the U.S. position globally. Uh, we have an incredibly successful, the most successful tech companies in the world are U.S. companies. Europe doesn't have one on the top 10. We have five in the top 10. And we shouldn't take that for granted. That's because innovation is permissionless in the U.S., and that bill would change that. So do you think that this bill could potentially be a slippery slope into more government intervention in the private market? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it does. It hands an enormous amount of power to the regulators at the Federal Trade Commission. That's a very aggressive regulating group right now. Um, And it sets a precedent for a more European approach. I don't think that's what Americans want. I think Americans know that American tech companies do a better job uh, than anyone else around the world. Let's talk about the feasibility. Senators Klobuchar and Grassley reportedly say they have the 60 votes needed to overcome the filibuster and pass this bill. Do you think this is likely, and what would that mean for tech companies in the short term? 
Well, I never want to give a 100% prediction of Congress. Uh, that's dangerous if you've watched Congress too long. But uh, Senator Schumer did just tell a group of donors last night that he doesn't think the bill currently has the vote. And that means he probably won't use, like, dwindling in precious floor time to bring it up for a vote this session. Although I do think a bill like this or this exact same bill even will be reintroduced in the next session. Jessica Belugin, thank you so much for your time at CEI. Thank you. The Chinese regime is buying up farmland in North Dakota. The problem is the plots of land are really close to a U.S. Air Force base. Now American officials are raising concerns. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has the story. Could the Chinese Communist Party use the land to spy on the U.S. military? The Grand Forks Air Force Base is home to some of the country's most sensitive military technology. That includes drone technology used for space and satellite operations. The base is also home to a networking center. A local senator says it handles the backbone of all U.S. military communications across the globe. The land purchase is a $2.6 billion deal by Chinese company Fufang Group. The city's mayor has pushed for the project, which he said is the largest single investment in the city's history. But some locals don't like the deal. One of the land sellers, Gary Bridgeford, told CNBC he had been called every name in the book by his neighbors for selling the property. Former telecom executive John Pelson told us it's not the amount of land China is buying that's the most concerning. It's where they are buying it. But if you're building $700 million worth of corn milling and processing, which is what the Chinese company supposedly wants to do, there's going to be every opportunity there to make this an eavesdropping site. And there was no credibility, in my opinion, to the story about why they had to pick that location, which they acknowledged isn't near their customers, is far north for where they would have otherwise put it, and is the only location they're going to have in the United States. They decided that North Dakota was a place to be. A representative for the Fufang Group's U.S. subsidiary denied the espionage accusations. China has a pattern of buying American land near sensitive military locations. In 2021, a former Chinese military official bought 130,000 acres of land close to Laughlin Air Base in Texas. The land bought by China surrounds that sensitive air base. Lawmakers and officials from both parties, including Elizabeth Warren and Mike Pence, have raised concerns about it. As part of the land purchases, China has been growing its presence in the American food system. In total, as of 2020, Chinese investors had bought almost 200,000 acres of farmland, worth a value of $1.9 billion. China's growing interest in U.S. real estate is raising concern. The communist regime was the top foreign buyer last year. China is the most active foreign buyer of real estate in the U.S. According to the National Association of Realtors, Chinese investors spent $6.1 billion on American real estate in the past year, more than any other foreign buyers. The state with the heaviest volume of purchases was Florida, accounting for nearly a quarter of all international real estate purchases in the U.S. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis told Fox News that he didn't think companies with ties to the Chinese Communist Party should be allowed to buy up American real estate assets. He's vowed to crack down on undue influence from rogue states like the Chinese regime, saying we want to make sure that we're cutting ties so that we're not funding our number one adversary.
Just ahead, a battalion of Ukrainian and foreign fighters is preventing Russia's advance. Find out their challenges and why they are making sacrifices. Drones are taking on a bigger role in modern warfare, raising the question of just how much need there is for human pilots to fly fighter jets. Find out more right here on NTD News. On the front line in the Kharkiv region, a Ukrainian battalion has been joined by foreign fighters. They face daily artillery bombardment, but say Ukraine's fight against Russian forces is worth the risk. Standing in the way of the Russian advance in eastern Ukraine, a Ukrainian battalion and a unit of foreign nationals who answered Kiev's call for help. They're about half a mile from Russian positions defending the captured eastern city of Izium. From the Ukrainian people is the message on this mortar. Artillery rains down most nights. Denis Polishchuk's nom de guerre is Canada because he was born in Ukraine but lived in Vancouver. What am I going to tell my children, God willing, I have them someday, um, when, when they grow up, or even my grandchildren, and they ask me about these, you know, these truly historical times we're living in. Uh, and I felt that <clears throat> the only um, dignified response would be that, yes, I was doing my part. I was, I was fighting alongside with everyone else. Polishchuk is part of the Carpathian Sitch Battalion, one of several paramilitary nationalist groups that began as volunteers in 2014, when Russia annexed the Black Sea Peninsula of Crimea and backed pro-Russian armed separatists in Ukraine's eastern Donbass region. Since May, Kiev says they've been reformed and integrated into the regular army. Moscow brands such former paramilitary groups far-right extremists and justified its invasion by saying it wants to denazify Ukraine. They strongly reject the charge. The fighters recently captured a Russian tank almost intact. They also contend with Russian drones, which they call black clouds, that direct artillery fire to their positions. A field commander who gave his name only as Javin for security reasons, says if Russian forces broke through here, other units could be outflanked. We understand if we, God forbid, surrender this line, if this horde can break through, we will let a huge number, thousands of our brothers who are holding the Donetsk and Luhansk lines, get executed. So it is extremely important. Our deterrence makes it impossible to encircle our troops. Connor is an ex-army medic. He says images of wounded women, children and fighters without adequate medical help prompted him to leave Britain. So I thought some of the knowledge that I've been trained in, bring it out here and we've helped set up field hospitals. It is getting a lot tougher out here the longer it goes on. It is definitely tiring. Um, sleep patterns are broken from shelling. Um, so they shelled at one, two and four o'clock in the morning yesterday. So that's obviously breaking our sleep routine up, but we've got to stay positive. Two Britons and a Moroccan citizen captured fighting with the Ukrainian army were sentenced to death as mercenaries by a Russian-backed separatist court in June. Polishchuk says the threat of capture scares him, but not enough to deter him. Drones could soon have an even larger impact on future wars. That's as algorithms, data, and machines take on a bigger role in the fighter jet cockpit. But for now, there's still a role for humans when it comes to air combat. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more.
built by Lockheed Martin, the F-35 fighter jet is described as the most advanced combat aircraft in the world. The aircraft has a top speed of Mach 1.6, plus advanced sensors capable of tracking enemy targets and jamming radars. It also carries precision-guided missiles. What's more, the jets can share the data they gather in the air with control centers on the ground. The F-35 is a fifth-gen fighter, and what that means is stealth and sensor fusion brought together to ensure that the pilot is flying the most capable, the most connected, the most survivable fighter aircraft on the face of the planet. But drones are taking on a bigger role in modern warfare, raising the question of just how much need there is for human pilots to fly fighter jets. Say, as a lot of people talk about, you know, the way of the future, possibly taking the pilot out of the aircraft, uh, that's definitely not something that any of us look forward to. Uh, I'd like to keep my job as long as possible, but I mean, it's hard to argue with new and newer technology. There's a next generation of potentially pilotless fighter jets, but they won't arrive before the next decade at the earliest. So far, the job of drones has been largely confined to reconnaissance and, if you will, targeted assassination and very light strike, not a lot more. The Pentagon's Air Combat Evolution Program is designing a plane that can fly itself in a dogfight. But in the near future, air warfare is likely to be human pilots and drones working together. Now drones are increasingly seen as an adjunct to piloted platforms, loyal wingman as they're called, basically something that supplements crewed platforms in the sky. So as of right now, it looks like pilots won't be grounded just yet. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And up next, a European economist says looming gas shortages would be disastrous for European countries this winter and would create never-before-seen situations. And a Kenyan presidential candidate's opponent decides not to show up to a pre-election debate, but the hour-long event still goes on. Find out what happened right here on NTD News. The threat of gas shortages this winter is a concern for European countries. In France, businesses and consumers are encouraged to save energy from now on to better prepare for a worst-case scenario. NTD's France correspondent David Vives met with an economist who says gas shortages would lead to a catastrophic scenario in countries like Germany and France. Switching off your Wi-Fi, turning off the lights when you're not in the room, and plugging electric devices after you leave for the weekend. These are some of the small acts that will allow French people to save energy this winter. The French government last week asked citizens to make an effort to conserve energy from now on, in order to get ready for possible gas shortages this winter. Leclerc, France's largest food retailer, said it could reduce the opening hours of its stores as part of emergency measures to deal with the risk of power shortages. Other measures include switching off illuminated signs as soon as the shop closes and systematically reducing light intensity. The French government emergency measures follow Russian President Vladimir Putin's threat to cut gas supplies in response to economic sanctions from the EU. Last year, Russian gas accounted for 40% of the EU's imports. According to economist Philippe Erlin, if Putin keeps his word, 
it will be a catastrophe for Europe. Unfortunately, yes. This is part of the possible scenarios. We talk about it a lot in Germany because they are much more dependent on gas than we are. But if the sanctions go all the way and Putin cuts off the gas supply to Europe, it will be catastrophic because the reserves have not been fully replenished. He says the EU sanctions on Russia will backfire in a dangerous way on the Europeans. Everyone has agreed to the need for sanctions, as we cannot accept Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But the fact is, sanctions will first of all impact us. It is suicide, because Russia will have no problem to redirect its gas and oil sales to other countries. It is actually now exporting it to India at the moment, to China. It sells gas. It will have no problem to find new customers because the global market is very tight. He says a gas cutoff might halt Germany factories, which would create a never-seen situation in this country. There will be a shortage of gas this winter for people to heat their homes and for factories to keep running. So Germany will plunge into recession. And now we are entering a catastrophic scenario because we have inflation and a recession at the same time. That means a reduction in income for employees, less revenue for the state, followed by a general hike in prices. If this happens in Germany, it will impact France too, that's for sure. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen last week called European member states to curb their consumption of gas by 15% until next spring, as Russia's gas giant Gazprom said it would be impossible to fulfill its contracts with the EU. But the plan has faced resistance from a swath of governments, with some flatty against Biden cuts and others unwilling to let Brussels control their energy use. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Police in the Czech Republic added a Ferrari to their fleet and only paid $12,000 for it. That's because they confiscated the car from criminals. The cost of converting it to a police car is about the same as buying a new Skoda. The car can reach top speeds of over 200 miles per hour and goes from 0 to 60 in 3.4 seconds. The Ferrari will be used to combat illegal street races, chase down stolen cars, and more. The Czech police reportedly use hundreds of cars that have been confiscated from criminals. They're used all over the country to combat crime. Kenyan presidential candidate William Ruto took part in a somewhat one-sided election debate on Tuesday evening after his main opponent didn't show up. Here's the story. Veteran opposition leader Raila Odinga had earlier issued a statement saying he could not debate with Ruto, who he described as having no regard for ethics and public morals. That meant Ruto, Kenya's vice president, was left next to an empty podium, fielding questions on his own for an hour. We have five million young people who are not working. Odinga and Ruto are in a tight race ahead of the election on August the 9th. Ruto has promised to slash the borrowing that funded President Uhuru Kenyatta's infrastructure building spree and says he will publish government contracts with China. The public have a right to know and to have access to that information. Kenyatta is backing his longtime opponent Odinga in the election instead of his vice president. He describes Ruto as unfit for office. Such shifting alliances are not unusual in Kenyan politics. 
$4 million worth of diamonds disappeared from auction house Sotheby's three years ago, and now a federal judge says the auction house could be held liable. MNL Financial filed the lawsuit in 2020 and alleged that it gave the diamonds to Sotheby's for appraisal in April 2019. The stones belonged to Jadell Jewelry and Diamonds of Beverly Hills, but the owner had given them to MNL for collateral because he owed the firm a debt. A few months later, Sotheby's told MNL that it had given the diamonds back to an agent of Jadell who had showed up to pick up the jewels, but the diamonds went missing, and MNL sued Sotheby's, arguing the diamonds should never have been released to anyone from Jadell. This month, a federal judge cleared MNL to continue with a breach of contract suit against Sotheby's. Sotheby's said the company will continue to defend this in court. MNL Financial, along with Jadell Jewelry and Diamonds of Beverly Hills, could not be reached for comment. A swimmer was attacked and injured by a Hawaiian monk seal on a beach in Waikiki, and an eyewitness captured the dangerous encounter. The video shows a female seal and her pup in the water as the swimmer approaches. The seal comes over and bites the swimmer, pulling her into the water. Bystanders then come to help her back to shore. The victim was identified as a 60-year-old elementary school teacher from California. She suffered lacerations to her face, arms, and back. Disturbing monk seals is a felony. The animal is an endangered species with fewer than 1,600 left in the wild. But state officials are not recommending charges or fines against the woman. The shoreline where the seals live is roped off. Hawaii Marine Animal Response says the seal that launched the attack gave birth about two weeks ago. The agency cautions about the dangers of getting too close to a nursing mother. Japanese police have turned to tranquilizer guns to deal with a spate of wild monkey attacks in Yamaguchi Prefecture. Since July 8th, 45 people from toddlers to senior citizens have been injured by Japanese macaques within a one-mile radius area in Yamaguchi City. So far, authorities haven't reported any serious injuries. Still, people have been scratched on their hands and legs and bitten on their necks and stomachs. Authorities could not confirm if one monkey or several monkeys were behind the attacks. An official said the police started using tranquilizers from July 24th. That's after their traps and patrols with nets failed to capture any. Japanese macaques, known as snow monkeys, are native to Japan and found throughout most of the country. However, it was rare for them to come into such close contact with a human community. The $830 million Mega Millions jackpot surged over $1 billion after no ticket matched all six winning numbers in Tuesday night's drawing. The next drawing will be Friday at 11 p.m. Eastern. If there is a winning ticket, it will be the third largest Mega Millions jackpot prize in the game's 20-year history. The largest Mega Millions jackpot was over $1.5 billion. That winning ticket was sold in South Carolina in October 2018. And a group of four players in Michigan won $1.05 billion in January 2021. Heavy traffic crashed the Mega Millions site soon after the drawing Tuesday night. It seems to now be back up that traffic has lessened. What is it about music that moves us deep inside? Today we'll look at how you can use music to improve your daily life. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body. We all have preferences for music styles or genres as they're called in the business and now a new study claims that music could prevent up to 800,000 avoidable deaths. Researchers at the University of New South Wales in Australia found evidence that musical engagement improves overall well-being and health. 
What is the magic ingredient? It's emotion that's drawn to the surface by the music you are listening to. It's a physiological part, that feel-good part that you want more of, where you want to play the song again. That feeling of familiarity that brings us comfort and peace. We know that composers have certain feelings and stories contained in their pieces. How the musician plays it or interprets it is meant to evoke an emotional response in the listener. These emotional responses stimulate areas of the brain that govern breathing and heart rates. The successful compositions in any genre trigger fight or flight responses. In modern music, that's known as the hook. It comes early in the piece to get our attention and then finishes with the rest and digest phase. It comes early in the piece to get our attention and then finishes with the rest and digest phase. Studies show how the impact of exercise works for our general health. Targeting how music does this for our well-being is the next step. Music can assist us when dealing with stress. It appears that consistent musical engagement might prevent conditions like heart disease and some cancers. Treating anxiety and depression for people caught in substance abuse might be the next breakthrough. The tricky part is choosing the genre that brings relief. Farmers know that playing classical music in the cow shed results in cows giving higher milk yields. Ah, music for housework, music for study and music for love. You can relieve the effects of psychological stress by choosing music that soothes your soul. The James Webb Space Telescope is on a 10-year journey in space, and now it will journey around the U.S. as a stamp. It's the U.S. Postal Service's latest forever stamp honoring the modern marvel, the largest and most complex telescope ever deployed in space. You can see an artist's depiction of the telescope itself with its gold-coated mirror segments making up a 21-foot-wide lens along with one of the dazzling photos from the telescope. The 60-cent stamps will come out on September 8th. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.